Hello, troublemakers. I'm Jenny. I'm a life coach. And today I'm going to talk about how to have better relationships. I'm still getting comments from my video um, about why dating sucks. For INFJs, that one really struck a chord with people. So this is a little bit of a follow-up to that video. First of all, disclaimer, I am 35 and single, so I don't know if you want to listen to me on this, um, but you could also look at it like I'm an expert in what not to do. And uh, I'm also working on becoming a couples therapist. So hedge your bets, I guess. Um, but so in my opinion, there's seven main things that are going to sabotage your relationships. Three of those things, abuse, addiction, and cheating um, are not going to be covered in this video. Those things I feel like are things where those partners have to do separate work, right? Okay. So, um, you know, if your partner cheated on you, you probably didn't do anything wrong, but there's still work for you to do on yourself if you're choosing partners who cheat, um, even though you didn't do anything wrong, if that makes sense. So yeah, um, abuse, addiction, cheating, there is work to be done, but I believe that it should be done separately in most cases. Um, so the four things that you can work on with a partner, which is a beautiful thing to do, is attachment styles, boundaries, core wounds, and unmet needs. Um, so yeah, if if you're single, still work on this stuff. It's great to work on, even better to be ready when you find your partner. Um, but yeah, these are the things that I have found to be um, problems in my own relationships. And so hopefully it can help some other people. My experience can help other people. Um, yeah, might as well leverage it, right? So things you can work on together. So um, if you're into love languages, um, I'm not really going to touch on that here, but my favorite love language is when everyone understands each other's trauma <laughs> and relationships are a huge trigger. I think relationships trigger all of our subconscious stuff more than anything else. And that can sound really discouraging, but actually I think relationships are a really unique opportunity um, to mirror to each other what wounds you do have and what you do need to work on. It's hard for me when I'm single to actually know what I need to work on because nothing's getting triggered, unfortunately. Um, so getting triggered in a relationship sucks, but if you want to make the best of it, then use it as a tool to show you what you need to heal. That's the best advice I can give. So starting out, I'm going to talk about attachment styles. All right. So everyone has a different type of attachment style. Everyone has one. And some of them are more conducive to healthy relationships than others. Now, don't be hard on yourself. Don't Go into a guilt and shame spiral if you have an unhealthy attachment style because you had no control over your attachment style. How you're wired is based on how you were raised when you're a little helpless child who had no control over any of this. So don't be hard on yourself. It's not your fault. 
but it is your responsibility to be conscious of it, um, to communicate about it in a healthy way. So yeah, attachment styles. So the healthy attachment style is called secure and um, securely attached people are direct. They talk about their feelings. They're very validating of other people's feelings. They're not scared of commitment. They have high self-esteem. They have healthy boundaries and they focus on win-win situations where they can meet both their needs and the needs of their partner. So if you don't have a secure attachment, that's what it looks like. That's what you can work towards. And I will put a link in the description to a test that you can take to find out what your attachment style is. There's also some really great books I'm going to recommend in the description too. So that's what securely attached looks like. The other types of attachment are disorganized, anxious, and avoidant. And they're all going to trigger each other. And all of those people love to fall in love with each other and just torture each other, <laughs> not intentionally, but that's usually what happens. So, um, so what was I going to say? Oh, so what the book, the book about attachment styles recommends is for the disorganized, the anxious and avoidant people to pair up with someone secure. That's going to be the least triggering situation that you can find. The problem with that is secure people aren't single. <laughs> They're all taken. They're all in healthy relationships. Um, so the dating pool is mostly disorganized, anxious, and especially avoidant people. Um, so it's good to uh, aim for a securely attached person, but your chances are going to be lower of finding one who's single and available. Um, in the meantime, you can work on becoming more secure and you know, I think there's really beautiful opportunities for people who have unhealthy attachment styles and who do want to be together to consciously work on it together. Um, both people have to be willing to do that and communicate, really committed to communicating, um, really self-aware. Um, but I think that is a really great opportunity for both people to help each other heal and grow. So yeah, anyways, um, disorganized attachment looks like both desiring and fearing intimacy at the same time. Um, they send a lot of mixed messages. There's like this kind of push-pull dynamic that happens. Um, they have extreme responses to feeling confronted, low empathy, poor boundaries, very mistrusting of their partner, constantly anticipate rejection very self-sabotaging. Um, I have dated people with this attachment style. Uh, it's very difficult, um, but they also weren't really willing to work on it. And I think for someone who is willing to work on it, there's a lot of opportunity there for growth. Anxious attachment style, this one's me. Um, calling myself out here. So anxious, attached people overgive, have low self-esteem, try to earn approval, have a fear of rejection, can act needy, can act clingy, don't like being alone, worry excessively. I also have a uh, diagnosed anxiety disorder. So that's really fun. <laughs> um, anxious. So anxious attachment style. 
avoidant attachment style, are suspicious of relationships and intimacy, withdraw when the relationship starts to feel too close, overly independent, don't want to need anyone, emotionally unavailable, distant, very hard to get to know, and not very good at compromising. Um, so again, the general advice is to find someone secure, um, but the chances of that are lower. Um, if you're an anxious person, learning to be direct and self-soothing, work on your self-worth, try to learn to be more reassuring to yourself, um, try to rewrite all of those stories in your head that are kind of coming from just a place of anxiety and worry. Um, that's hard because the common relationship dynamic that happens is an anxious person with an avoidant person. Um, and it's hard to reassure yourself when your partner is like distancing themselves from you. It's very easy to make up stories about that, about that, what that means, because they probably are pushing you away. So um, yeah, these people just love to fall in love with each other and then torment each other, <laughs> not consciously. Um, but it's called the anxious avoidant trap. It's a very common relationship dynamic. And the reason that it happens is if an avoidant person partners with an avoidant person, then there's no glue to hold the relationship together. Like no one's chasing anyone. So they're just going to drift apart and no one's really going to care that it's happening. Um, whereas like an anxious person and an anxious person like are just going to overwhelm each other. <laughs> and so anxious and avoidant as dysfunctional as it is, is very common and very normal in a way. Um, so yes, if you're anxious, you've got to just learn to be really confident, um, really work on your confidence. It's hard when the messages that you're getting from your partner are that they're distancing, um, very hard, very hard to do, but worthy of the cause. Okay. And then for avoidant people is also to be more direct and to be reassuring to your partner, tell them, Hey, I need some space. Don't worry. I'll be back. And when I'm done processing, right? So you've got to learn to be reassuring. Both can be very indirect. Um, you know, avoidant people are going to distance themselves. And then anxious people can kind of become manipulative in like this desperate need to get attention. Um, so you have to be direct. And um, that's the test, right? If you're If you can be direct with your partner and they can hear you and accept that or not, that's the test. So, um. Yeah, I historically usually go for avoidant people, which makes sense. And um, what this feels like to me is it's like I'm standing in front of them. I have a splitting headache and I'm just like, will you please help me? Will you please help me with this headache? I'm miserable. And they're standing in front of me and then they go, no, I can't help you. You need to fix that on your own. And they're holding a bottle of Tylenol in their hand, right? It's like the Tylenol is just a little bit of reassurance. Um, and they're like, no, you need to fix that on your own. And I'm like, you have Tylenol, just give it to me. So um, if that insight is helpful for anyone, that's what it feels like to me. I'm like, just give me some Tylenol and then I can leave you alone and I'll feel better and we'll all be happy. Like, just give me the Tylenol. Um, anyway, oh, there's a really gr great quote um, from 
this attachment style book. And I think it's, we are only as needy as our unmet needs. Um, and I just love that quote because, because it's like, um, it's like this self-fulfilling prophecy, right? It's like, if you're not getting attention, then you start acting desperate. And then when you're acting desperate, that pushes people away more, right? And then because they get pushed away more, that makes you even more desperate. And then because you're more desperate, that pushes them away more. So um, that's where finding someone who's willing to work on more secure attachment styles with you is really helpful because if they can just give you that little bit of reassurance, it keeps the spiral from happening. Okay. Um, as far as unmet needs go, this is going to kind of bleed into unmet needs. So if you're into Myers-Briggs, I love Myers-Briggs, love personality theory, because it helps me understand people it helps me understand that people just think and operate differently than me. They're not trying to hurt me or be rude necessarily. They just are wired completely in a completely different way. So Myers-Briggs, um, if you're familiar with Myers-Briggs, everyone has different cognitive functions and everyone has a certain type of feeling. Some people have introverted feeling and some people have extroverted feeling. It has nothing to do with whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. That's a separate thing. And so if you are an introverted feeler, you are very good at pinpointing emotions. You're also way more focused on your emotions than other people's. If you're an extroverted feeler, you're a lot better at reading and understanding other people's feelings than your own. Your own, it takes a lot longer to process. And um, you're also more inclined to meet other people's needs. Um, extroverted feelers are better at putting other people's needs first. Introverted feelers are usually just focused on putting their own needs first. And so um, what, how that plays out in relationships usually is introverted feelers are getting their needs met. They're just putting their needs first. They're getting their needs met. Extroverted feelers are not getting their needs met, especially if you're strong. Um, so there's, there's four you have four main cognitive functions, and if feeling is like your first or second one, especially, this is going to happen. So yeah, um, ex extreme extroverted feelers are going to really be putting other people's needs first, and extreme introverted feelers are going to be really putting their needs first. And um, again, it's not a, it's not good or bad. It's just the way you're wired. Um, and I think I have a theory. That the, that the reason for this is that extroverted feelers, our parents masked their emotions and we were having to constantly guess really what was happening. And we were being invalidated about what was happening or gaslit about what was happening. Everyone was in denial about what was happening. And so we really had to learn to read people without them telling us what was happening. And with introverted feelers, they were burdened by other people's emotions. So they had a parent who like treated them almost like a spouse, like burdened them with everything that was going on. There was like no question. Like you just knew, you knew exactly what was happening, even if it was too much for a kid to know. And um, that's my guess anyway, about where this comes from. 
And so, yeah, there's no nothing to feel guilty or ashamed about. It's just how you're wired. But if you can be conscious of it, um, then you you can be better at meeting other people halfway, which is what relationships require, right? Relationships require you to find the balance between meeting your needs and other people's needs. And I think that's that's where the happy middle ground is that we all have to work on finding is the balance between meeting our needs and being accommodating for our partner. Um, and the people, at least in my age group, I think that's where a lot of us are all falling short is finding that balance. Um, so yeah, if you're a strong extroverted feeler, then your challenge is going to be working on putting your needs first, but not so extreme that the pendulum is swinging the other direction. And then if you're an introverted feeler, your challenge is going to be learning to be more accommodating and more compromising um, and more curious about what your partner is going through and how you can help. And it doesn't mean that you put other people's needs before yours. Um, the best policy is usually to put your needs first. But um, I mean, the introverted feelers who really struggle with relationships, it's like their needs are coming first, second, and third. So yeah, your needs first, but your partner's needs should come second. Make room for that. All right. So so moving on to core wounds, you know, these all kind of lead into each other. So uh, how do you know if a core wound has been activated? You have more emotion than the situation warrants. You have sudden and intense emotions. You can't let something go. So if you're having a fight and it's something small, but you're having a really big reaction, that means, you know, the fight's not really about the dirty dishes in the sink. It's probably about feeling like you're not listened to or like you don't have help in general. Um, it's it's not really about the dishes. Okay, so this is where it's time to look at the root and the core wounds and all of that fun and fun, lovely stuff. So the main core wounds, according to my therapist, are abandonment, rejection, self-worth, self-image, and victimization. I'm not going to get super into those here, but I will say I've been in therapy for three years and I just figured out that I have an abandonment wound. Like, I'm sure someone told me at some point and it didn't register. Like, it's like I'm this onion that I'm constantly peeling. And now I'm at the abandonment wound layer. And I'm so sick of this onion already. But anyways, that's that's what life is, right? You can work on it or you cannot. They both suck. <laughs> so pick your poison. So anyways, um, yeah, it might not be super clear to you what your core wound is, right? Um, you might have an abandonment wound and you might not really understand that that's what's happening. I mean, I was not physically abandoned, but I would say that I was emotionally abandoned. And um, when it's not obvious, it's it's hard to kind of connect the dots, Um it can take a lot of processing. So just be patient. Just look deeper. Be patient. Be curious. Um, some things that help when a core wound is activated is to use this type of wording. You can say, the story that I'm telling myself is. So you can say, 
the story that I'm telling myself is that you knew I was tired. You knew I was exhausted. You heard me ask you to do the dishes and you still chose not to do them because you don't care about what I'm going through. Um, and then your partner can, um, the best thing to do is reflect what they said back to them um, in your own words. Always reflect. So then the partner would then say, what I'm hearing you say is, and then try to reword what they said. Um, and then clarify, like, I'm really, like, I'm really sorry I made you feel that way. I do care. This is why. Um, and another thing that helps is you can say, when you do this, I feel this way. So you can say, when, um, you can say, when you don't spend any time with me, I feel neglected. And uh, you don't, so you want to be really careful not to like accuse them of things or assign intent. Um, you want to just say, when you did this, be very specific, stick to the facts. When you did this, I felt this way. Um, and hopefully you have a partner who can, who can meet you there. Um, if they can't meet you there, then there's some other things to work on. But yeah, that's a great place to start is, um, not accusing them, not saying like, you didn't do the dishes because you don't care about me. Um, but the story that I'm telling myself is you didn't do the dishes because you don't care. Um, or when you don't do the dishes, I feel like I don't have any help. Um, so yeah, anyways, wording is very important. Um, and then moving on to boundaries. So boundaries are just state a statement of your limits really and um they affect relationships beyond just your boundaries with your partner um i think there's a lot of unhealthy boundaries with parents and in-laws um maybe affects your relationship more even than than your boundaries with your partner directly so uh yeah boundaries is a statement of your limits and what will happen if those limits are crossed um, but you have to be careful that you're not using it to control or manipulate the situation. So it's not about, um, controlling what the other person does. It's about protecting yourself. So if you have a partner who drinks too much, um, you can say, I don't like being around you when you drink. Um, if you drink, if you get drunk on Christmas, then I'm going to leave the party because I just don't want to be around it. And it can sound the same, but mean two different things, right? If you're using it as punishment, um, that's not going to work. That's not going to help your relationship. But if it's really just to protect yourself from, you know, being around someone who's drunk, you know, and maybe it's also triggering because you had a drunk parent, something like that. So, um, a boundary is just a statement of your limits. And I, I feel like the biggest boundary violation I hear about is like, um, if you're talking about a man and a woman, the man's mother, um, you know, some mother-in-laws are great, but some are super, super toxic, have no boundaries, feel like, act like they're in competition, um, with 
with the wife or the girlfriend. Um, so really, I mean, your partner should come first before your parents, before your in-laws, unless your partner is toxic. If you're, if, unless your partner is toxic, but, um, yeah, I mean, if your partner has something to say about their in-laws, like really hear them out. Cause, cause I see a lot of, of terrible in-law stories. Um, okay. So that's, that's all my main, that's all my main points, but I have a few more like little side notes, um, is to be validating. Um, if you grew up in a very invalidating environment, this takes conscious intention to learn. Um, but you've probably been in situations where someone invalidates you and it does not feel good. It really sucks. Learning to be validating. Um, I think that is so incredibly important. It makes such a huge difference to just feel validated and to be validating um, and to treat intent and effect equally, right? If, if, if you get into a fight with your partner um, assume that their intent was innocent, unless you, unless you have someone with like a mental health issue or an addiction, their intent was probably innocent and, and their effect on you is still valid. Right. So be open to listening to what their intent actually was. And then they also need to be open to listening to what their effect on you was. Like their intent might have just been, look, I needed space. I I like space to myself. I wanted to process. But the effect on you was that you felt abandoned. And they're both valid. So validating intent and effect equally. They need to be equal. It's not a competition. Um, Being too idealistic. This goes for the single people. Like you might have this wish list. You're looking for this like unicorn. Um, I think a lot of people are being too idealistic and looking for a partner. And what you really want is someone who can do these things that I just described, who can be validating, who has good boundaries, or who at least is conscious of their triggers and wants to work on them together. Um, I, you know, that's, that's more important than you know, them being a certain height and them having the right color hair and the right color eyes and, you know, being like a professional athlete or whatever. Um, so yeah, try to just be more open-minded about what you're looking for and, um, maybe think about the personality traits and maybe just have like a list of like five things. And, um, yeah, just like, like, I want someone who's adventurous and I want someone who's honest and I want someone who's emotionally intelligent, like those kinds of things. And then kind of be open to the rest of it. Uh, be curious, be like, oh, I might be pleasantly surprised by who I find. Um, instead of, yeah, having a list of like a hundred things. Um, yeah, just, just try to. I'm not, I, I don't know how to word this because I'm not, I am saying to lower your expectations, but I don't actually think you're going to find someone 
who's lower than what you're looking for. I actually think by lowering your expectations, you're more likely to find someone up here, if that makes sense. Everything's a paradox. <laughs> um, and then the last thing I was going to say is being conscious of masculine versus feminine energy. I'm probably going to get some grief for this, okay? But I'm not talking about genders. I'm not talking about gender roles. Masculine versus feminine energy has nothing to do with your gender. Um, even if you're a gender fluid person in a relationship, there's probably someone who who is filling a, a greater masculine energy role and someone who's filling a greater feminine energy role. I've been in relationships where I'm filling the masculine energy role, even though I'm uh, I am a woman who's attracted to men. Um, so I'm not trying to, yeah, play into all the, the gender debates and the gender roles here, but masculine energy is very driven, very rigid, very goals focused. Um, and feminine energy is, is much more fluid, much more flexible, much more open. Um, and so, I think what I've seen in my own relationships is I'm playing the masculine energy part and I'm frustrated because I want to play the feminine energy part. Um, and if you're with someone who is very noncommittal, very fluid, um, doesn't make commitments, um, isn't setting goals, then you kind of just have to swoop in and fill that role yourself. And then you get frustrated. So I think just being conscious of um, what, which one of those roles do you want to play? And are you picking a partner who allows you to fill that role? Um, and so, yeah, it's like with me, I want to let go. I want to let go and relax, but we can't both be relaxed. Like I need to trust that someone is steering the car, right? So I I really am drawn to um free-spirited people, but then this pro I then I run into this problem where I feel like someone needs to steer the car and they're not going to, so no, I have to, and then I get resentful about it. So um yeah, if you want to be free-spirited, then you might want to look for someone who who's focused on steering instead of free spirited. Um, it's yeah. And it's a balance and, you know, not everyone's going to be extremely one or extremely the other. Some people might be more balanced in both. And that might be something that you want to be is balanced in both. Um, it's not, it's not set in stone. You can change it. You can be conscious about it. Um, but yeah, just think about, what role you want to play in this relationship and are you picking partners to allow you to play that role and can you step into that role and will they pick up the slack or is the car just going to crash <laughs> so um yeah it would be really great if i could find someone i could trust to not crash the car and drive i think that's what i'm looking for so anyways that's everything i have hopefully it's helpful um, again, I'm learning all of this as I go also. Uh, so I, I am not an expert in this, but I am constantly observing and analyzing. And if you found this video helpful, please like and subscribe. I really want to keep making free content. Um, 
I think there's so much help and therapy out there that there's barriers to that you have to pay, you need insurance for. And so um, I see making free content as, as something I just am driven to want to do. And um, yeah, likes and subscribes will help me do that. So I appreciate you guys. I love getting your comments and your messages. Please keep sending them. Um, and I hope to be back soon. Thanks, everybody.